0: Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio. We're in Daniel chapter 5. and We're going to be doing something special today. We're trying to get Daniel out of the critics' den. In Daniel chapter 6, we're going to read about Daniel getting tossed into the lion's den, but one author described how the critics treat the book of Daniel as throwing Daniel into the critics' den. I mean, you know, there are liberal... Scripture scholars, and I just don't understand why these guys don't go out and get a job. If you don't believe the Bible, why do you spend your life trying to interpret it? But anyhow, the liberal biblical scholars regard the book of Daniel as merely pious fiction. They don't believe this is truth at all. And so we're going to look today about the book of Daniel being actual history. This is real stuff and it's not pious fiction. So we're going to do that today, and then next time we're going to see how this chapter is so critically important for preparing God's people to face the end times. There's great practical importance of this, but first we want to establish the truthfulness of this chapter. So The book of Daniel is actual history, and we're going to take Daniel 5, one of the places where the critics just love to attack Daniel. Let's talk about when. If we want to establish something as a real fact, a real history, we need to have a date. This is one of the hardest dates. By a hard date, I mean this is fixed, this is real, this is known, this is established. The events in Daniel chapter 5, this is where King Belshazzar is having an idolatrous and sacrilegious feast, drinking and getting drunk from the uh, vessels that were stolen from the temple in Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, and they're going on, and there was the handwriting on the wall. Well, this took place on October 11th and 12th, 539 B.C. How about that? This is a real date. Now, how do we know this? Well, we know that later during this feast of Belshazzar's, he's having a hundred nobles and guests for this big idolatrous feast, the first world kingdom fell on this night. So the reason I said October 11th and 12th, this is probably an all-night party. It started in the evening on the 11th, But sometime during the night, probably past midnight, the first world empire went out of existence. So we know this is a historical fact. It's backed up by at least three ancient secular historians recording the fact, and two of the historians mentioned that when the Persians, the Medes and the Persians came in and conquered the city of Babylon, it was during a feast period or a festival going on, and it's one of the reasons they chose this night to attack, because they were drunk and thinking that the city of Babylon could never be successfully attacked. So that's the when, okay? That's one of the things we want to know when we're establishing something as true, actual history. Where it took place? Well, the feast in Daniel chapter 5 where King Belshazzar was using these sacred vessels from the temple in Jerusalem. It took place in a vast hall because he had a thousand guests. That's a lot of folks to have to your party. It was a vast hall in the Babylonian royal palace, okay? Now, this palace is approximately 59 miles southwest of Baghdad, Iraq, and a lot of us, because if we've watched the news through the Middle East wars, we know all about Baghdad. And this palace was located about 59 miles south of Baghdad. And this isn't some mystery where we don't know anything about. Archaeologists have been exploring the site for over a century. And if you want to look at this, by the way, just put in the Babylonian Royal Palace, Iraq and go to Google Images and you can see the actual remains that the archeologists have now exposed as well as some um, reconstructions of what it would have looked like back then. One archeologist, get this, claims to have actually found this palace hall described in Daniel chapter five. It was one of the few rooms in the royal palace that would have accommodated so many guests. Unfortunately, the handwriting on the wall doesn't exist. Uh, It just simply didn't survive the centuries. Now, the who in this chapter is where the nuclear attack starts taking place. I urge you to stick with me because what I want to do is establish the reality, the historical reality of this chapter. So when we move to the next episode, there's stuff that people's souls need regarding this truth, but if it's simply denied, and you'd be surprised, I would even say some semi-conservative biblical scholars question the historicity of Daniel. So the who is where the Bible critics really pounce on Daniel. All right, it's pointed out that there was absolutely no King Belshazzar of Babylon. No, no king. He, He wasn't the king of Babylon. And um, yet, the first verse says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. And, you know, he had this drunken feast. Well, here's here's how we deal with this. Belshazzar was the son of of a king called Labanadus. Now, Labanadus was the final king of Babylon. That's a historical record and Belshazzar was his son, but for some reason, Nabonidus uh, went to a nearby location and lived there for a decade, the last decade of the kingdom of Babylon, and one speculation is he seemed to really like the moon god and whatever this place was that he went to. It was a great place for the god he had chosen to worship, so he left his son Belshazzar co-regent governing the kingdom in his place. Now, here's the problem. There isn't a single historical record of Belshazzar being the king of Babylon appointed by his father, and the Bible critics love this historical silence. That is, until 1854 when these so-called scripture geniuses became red-faced, when was found something called the Nabonidus Cylinder, spelled N-A-B-O-N-I-D-U-S, Nabonidus Cylinder. And likewise, you can put in the Nabonidus Cylinder on Google Images, and it's right there. Tons of pictures for all the world to see And in 1854, the cylinder was found, and in the writing, sure enough, Belshazzar was appointed co-regent of Babylon by his father, Nabonidus. So it's very interesting, later in the chapter, after Belshazzar totally panics seeing the handwriting on the wall, he is willing to give anything he can to any of the wise men of Babylon to interpret what these three uh, words basically mention that were from the handwriting on the wall. But his, the reward says, I'll elevate to the third position in the empire. Now, we read, like in um, the further in the Old Testament, that Joseph was brought to second in the empire by Pharaoh. Why wouldn't Belshazzar reward this person who he desperately wanted to have the answers to for the handwriting on the wall to the second position in the kingdom? Because he was already second. He was the co-regent. His father was the king who he had left in authority, so the best he could do would be to raise somebody to the third position, okay? So we took care of point number one of the hoop. Stick with me. There's a couple more attacks coming. The second point of attack by the critics on Belshazzar, it's said in this chapter in verse 2, 11, 13, 18, and 22, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was Belshazzar's father, and he wasn't, okay? So people, the critics, get all excited about this, but As a lot of scholars point out, kings and their successors were often described as father-son, not necessarily literally sharing the DNA as father and son, but simply a successor. And in the Old Testament, there's no word for grandfather, and it would be any extended member of the family, your predecessor would be regarded as your father. So that's really not a big deal. That's just learning how the language is used. Now there's a third who problem. Uh, Where and who is, uh, is kind of easy, but this third problem is that at the end of this chapter, and we're going to be talking about this next episode, the Persians conquer Babylon. And It says Darius was the king who was received the kingdom of Babylon, and yet the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon, and Cyrus, not Darius, was the king of the Medes and the Persians. So, what gives? There's two possible explanations. One, that Darius was simply another name for Cyrus. This was a long time ago, but even better, I think, is that Darius was a vice-regent under Cyrus. We've already seen earlier in this episode how a vice-regent or co-regent could be named. Cyrus would have been a king of kings over the Persian empire, and Darius would have been a king or a vice-regent under this great king. And then finally, so that's The when, the where, and the who. How? Final objection How in the world could any army conquer the city of Babylon? They had massive walls 25 feet wide and at places as high as 40 feet. There was absolutely no technology in the ancient world to get over or penetrate such defenses. In addition, the Babylonians were preppers. They had a store of supplies in case uh, there was a siege that could last for years. That's why they're having a big feast, even though they knew the Medes and the Persians were getting ready to attack. And so what happened? Instead of trying to destroy the walls, which couldn't be destroyed, the Medes and the Persians, during the course of this one night, dammed up the Euphrates River that ran right through the city of Babylon and the troops simply waded into or walked on dry ground going right into the midst of the city, and in one night, the greatest empire the world had seen since the creation of the world fell in one single night. So, that's when, that's who, that's how the city of Babylon But we need to know a lot more about this chapter, because this chapter isn't just history. It is a critical chapter to prepare God's people for the end times. So stick with me. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 150 of Luke 21 Radio.